Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Maker Mom podcast. Today's guest is Jess Crow of Crow Creek Designs in Alaska. I really enjoyed this interview. Uh, Jess is just amazing and has really been leaning in on sharing some very vulnerable things about herself and her past lately. Plus, her work is just absolutely amazing. It is definitely a blend of um, clear craftsmanship, uh, fine woodworking, along with just amazing art. Uh, really bringing out that, you know, art can also be functional or maybe more so that functional pieces should also be pieces of art. So I think you will really enjoy this interview just as much as I did. Uh, But before I let you get to it, don't forget to follow along with the Maker Mom podcast on Instagram at Maker Mom Podcast. And while you're checking that out and following along, you can click on the link in the bio there and get sent to all sorts of places like the show notes. Uh, you can go to Maker Mom Tribe, which will take you to the Patreon page so you can officially join the tribe and uh, get all the perks there, like early access to the shows, um, as well as being able to participate in the monthly online meetups. And we have another one coming up just next week. And if you're following along on Instagram, you'll know the date for that. So don't miss out on that. Plus, if you officially join at Patreon, uh, then you will also get a shout out at the beginning of the show the week that you join. So uh, that's also a pretty awesome perk so other people can learn about you and follow along with you as well, because that's what we're all about, building a tribe of maker moms to support each other. All right, with no further ado, I will let you get to listening to Jess Crow of Crow Creek Designs. Okay, so... Let's go ahead and get started with um, an introduction of yourself, what you like to make, um, about your kiddos. Okay. Um, So my name is Jess, and I own Crow Creek Designs, which is here in Alaska. Um, I have three daughters. They are um, pretty much all older, actually. My oldest being 23. My middle daughter just turned 19, and my youngest is 15, coming up on 16. Um, As for making stuff, I really enjoy making anything, and that's kind of a problem. I swear I've got just the mind of a squirrel because I see something online and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I want to make it. And the next thing I know, I've bought like $600 in craft supplies to make a freaking sign. Um, so, and then, and then I'll see a gigantic sculpture and it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, I could so make that. And I've, you know, cutting down trees in the backyard, trying to freaking carve Aphrodite out of a dang tree. Um, so for build wise, I really like making anything. I love drawing. I draw and doodle all day long. 
um, beading is another huge passion. So I, I am truly all over the gamut with what I like to do. I was really excited to see that you shared um, in some of your recent posts, some of your uh, beadwork. I was excited to see that um, because of our last conversation. Um, it was nice to be able to see that in contrast to yet similar to the woodworking pieces that you do. Um, yeah, I think there's, if you look at my work, there's kind of a theme all over. It's always very organic. It's always very um, moody. It always has emotion behind it, whether it's a, a bright, vibrant color. I mean, if I'm going bright and vibrant, I go bright and vibrant. If I'm doing a piece that is very earthy, it is. It's, it's very moss greens and browns and highlighting the natural wood. So I kind of get carried away a little bit. <laughs> It's like, ah, oh, let's just go all in. There's, there seems to be no, uh, no in-between with me. I think that's totally fine and also like very needed, uh, especially in the art world right now, I think. Um, so I think it's good that you follow your passion. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's go back a bit. Uh, what was um, your childhood like? Uh, family-like? What were your interests as a kid? So the easy answer is art has always been an interest. Always. Um, I actually remember, it was pretty weird. My mom had taken a picture of a clown that I drew, and I was pretty young at the time. I, I barely remember where I was, or what was going on. But I remember her showing it to some people at a store and them insisting that there was no way that a child had drawn that. Like that essentially she was fibbing. Um, that's terrible because that's my first like real impression of like, I might actually be good at this with somebody saying there's no way that a kid did this. Um, I was super into art class. Like I, I was not necessarily a great teenager. I was a bit of a troublemaker. I had actually been suspended a lot from school, but I always showed up for art class. So between that and where I grew up was pretty much a, a poor situation. Um, we always made what we wanted to play with. We didn't have a TV. Um, my first movie I ever saw was poltergeist on vhs and it scared the daylights out of me that is not a good first movie <laughs> but um that that was pretty much where i learned and embraced if you don't have something you can probably just make it so uh and i did i grew up in fairbanks um so fairbanks alaska is this tiny little it's considered the golden heart city of Alaska because it's almost the center of Alaska where we did go to school at 60 below and you you walked to the bus stop you bundled your butt up and you walked to the bus stop um so yeah Fairbanks was an interesting place to grow up in yeah I can't even imagine temperatures like that just gonna throw that out there our uh, our polar vortex we had this winter which was insanely cold for Iowa, you know, right in the Midwest, we, we hit a record low of negative 56. Holy and, cow. Um, 
all schools, of course, were closed, like pretty much all businesses, everything. It was like nobody left their house. <laughs> it was just insane. And I can appreciate that, though. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you got to feel what that felt like if you had. Well, and it was funny because during those times I was talking to like my youngest daughter and she, she didn't get it. She's like, I don't understand why those kids can't go to school. It's only like, you know, negative 10 there. I'm like, but you have to understand that they're not equipped for that. Here we were used to it. It kind of used loosely. So it's not a big deal. We have the gear, you know, our trucks are prepared. It's our houses are prepared for that. And a lot of homes down South are, are just not equipped to handle that kind of cold. So it's, it's like that terrible movie. Um, oh goodness. What is that movie that uh, Dennis Quaid's in and the earth freezes over, you know, it, it's, I kind of use that as an, a teaching point for her that that's these warmer States and even Ohio is not equipped for 50 below. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. I would say, um, yeah, we weren't used to it, and it was kind of a harsh awakening for us, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so going from, uh, you know, childhood into kind of adolescence and then into young adulthood, how did that, uh, or did that passion for art stay with you um, as you grew, or was there kind of a period of... Uh, absence you know from from that creative side actually absolutely not um I did have my oldest daughter the girls' father and I um we met when I was pretty young and I had my oldest daughter when I was 16 so even more so then it was important to be able to to do things with her and we were very very low income um I mean I'm talking making nine to $10,000 a year, not just, you know, it, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and it wasn't from lack of trying to work. It just was the economy up here and skill sets. So doing art and making things were hurt with her. were just what we did. We couldn't afford to do anything else. So, um, it always stayed, it did morph a little bit because I was trying to include a lot more kids crafts into stuff. But then as her sister came along, uh, about four years later, again, it was just, we were always making stuff. So, and then again, finally with the third one, I remember when they were <laughs> always trying to find innovative ways. So I used to stick them in the bathtub, put them in their knickers, stick them in the bathtub and just let them paint the walls of the bath, you know, of, of the bathtub tile. And it was great because it was super easy cleanup. And I have these pictures that I get to embarrass them with when they're, you know, having their kids because, you know, after you take their knickers off to go get them washed and they literally have like this little white bum, but the rest of them was covered head to toe in paint. Um, but it's a fantastic idea for little kids because it's super easy cleanup. I used to lay uh, craft paper all over the kitchen floor and just let them go to town. And at the same time, I'd be drawing and working on stuff. Um, when I picked up beading by accident, which it was, it was literally by accident. My youngest was standing in line. She pointed a little butterfly bead thing on the cover of a magazine uh, named Bead and Button. And uh, so I doubled back around in Joanne Fabrics, 
went and picked up the supplies it said. And I was like, oh, well, this is kind of fun. This is cool. So then in my true fashion, I went all in. I decided there was a picture of a lady in there. Her name was Sherry Serafini. And she'd made this gigantic bead collar. And I was so inspired. And I'm like, oh, went down to the local bead store, picked up a bunch of supplies, YouTubed a couple of things. And I remember being terrified because I took it down to the bead store and I just wanted to ask because I couldn't figure out how to do a closure for it. And the lady, she said, did you make this? And I said, yes. She goes, hold on a minute. She goes back into the back office and she comes out and there are all these ladies come out. Now I'm scared. Like, oh my gosh, should I do something wrong? Um, and from then, that moment, those ladies became a part of my family. Um, they were so impressed and so happy. And it ended up being a huge part of my life for a really long time. So I kind of did woodworking on the side just for small projects around the house, but beading was actually my main source of income. That magazine that I ended up picking up that first time, I've been published in that magazine twice now, in addition to a couple of other magazines and national stuff. So art has always been a part of me and it has always been a part of my daughters now. So that's been amazing to see. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And, you know, I think you hit on a point that um, I kind of cherish as well. Like, I credit my uh, childhood, which was I also grew up in in poverty, um, where, you know, I think my mom even had a year of making less than that nine to ten thousand dollar range. And not for lack of trying also, you know, doing three jobs and still only uh, bringing mm -hmm. in that income. But what it taught me, because similarly, um, my mom also made everything, you know, sewed my own clothes or sewed clothes for me and everything like that. Um, but I remember for like birthdays and Christmases, we would make each other presents. Like yes. we would have to make them because we couldn't afford to buy anything. And I think that just a, like I learned to value that so much more uh, because it meant something that somebody took the time to figure out what to not only give me, but how to make that um, in order to give it to me and vice versa, you know, what I could give to my mom. So um, I highly value that and, and credit that I think for a lot of my initial spark for creativity and learning to do things because we had to, we didn't have money to go out and buy it. No, I mean, absolutely. I remember being in, and you know, I, I was a little kid and you know, when you're a little kid, you're super weird. But I mean, I remember what my mom used to make almost all of our clothing. And I was so embarrassed because, you know, everybody at school is at that time, you know, we're going to school in the eighties. So everybody's into Nike and they're wearing guest jeans and whatnot. And my mom was making our clothing. And then, um, you know, my daughters themselves have learned you know, we, we were thought we were rolling in the money when, you know, we're a family of five and we're making $12,000 a year. <laughs> and that's, that's um, hard living in Alaska when your, your heat bill and your electric bill is so very high. The cost of living here is, is exceptionally high. Um, but I can look back now and even as things started shifting and we started being able to afford things a little bit better um, while their dad and I were together, 
we still always made stuff. Um, even to this day, the, we still make stuff for holidays and for birthdays. My mom's birthday's coming up and um, I haven't bought her a single thing. I made her stuff and that's pretty norm. And I look at my oldest daughter now and she's part of that little tiny house nation. She loves it. Um, absolutely loves it. And she makes everything. I mean, I love it for my birthday. She's crocheting me stuff and she does that for her friends. And it's not because she can't afford to buy them something, but she has understood the value of a handmade item. So it's, it's pretty cool. I really have enjoyed looking back on my daughter's years and seeing that tradition passed down, not because of them being poor, but because of a, a learned skill set. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, you know, now too, what I see with my family, I can afford, uh, you know, to get our children, whatever, well, not whatever, but mostly whatever they ask for. <laughs> Mom's buying a truck and a pony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, you know, I strive uh, every Christmas to make sure that there's something that I made with my own two hands under the tree for them. Um, just because I value that. And I know maybe not now they might not value that as well. You know, they're only five and, and three, but I'm sure as they grow, uh, they will understand the value of that. I, I, I would have to agree with that. I have made a point of saving when they're little like that. I've saved gifts that I've given my daughters in order for them to have them when they're they're older, just because you're right at three and five, they're just like, this is so silly. Like they're either all squishy and like, thank you mom. Or they're like, you know, uh, my mom is so weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So when do you, when would you say you kind of, I don't know if I want to say officially became a maker, but you know, when do you feel like strongly that that became kind of an identifier for you? Um, so I've, I've mentioned it before, but the big shift for me was a few years back. So probably, gosh, we, we got to be coming up on about three or four years now. Um, I made a, a coffee table for my bedroom just out of some leftover dunnage from stuff I had found. So kind of essentially pallet, but a little bit sturdier. Um, I painted it in my true fashion and it it was awesome. It was way before I had seen any sort of like grain popping and how to do all of that. Um, and it turned out like the Northern Lights, exactly like I wanted to. It was just awesome. But I got up in my room and I didn't like it at all. Didn't like it in my space. It didn't work for it. So I put it on Craigslist, slapped a number on it, um, and hundreds of calls and orders later, I'm staying up for weeks on end, pumping these things out. Um, and it just kind of, it, it was a moment of epiphany, like people will buy artful furniture. Um, so I just started a quest of, well, this is how this is going to happen now. And then from there I moved over. I noticed of course the, the popular trend of flipping furniture and the whole distressed look using chalk paint and stain and wax and all of that. So, but in order to put my spin on it, not only did I do the distressing of the furniture, but I, I would add art to it. 
huge intricate flowers and I made these little robots, which I loved. I love making children's dressers. Um, and then from there, I started thinking, well, this might be more cost efficient if I start building my own dressers and my own furniture because I had started to get like, oh, hey, can you make me this? Can you make me some bar stools I'm looking for? So from there, I built my first table set. Um, very angular, very straight cut. Um, all the bolts showing you may still look really cool, but it, it definitely, she had no curves. <laughs> Everything was a straight or a miter cut. That was how that worked. Um, then I took a break for about a year. Unfortunately, um, I do have a underlying health issue that took me out of the game for about 18 months. So at that point I kind of didn't really think I wanted to continue with making things as a job job. Then it just kind of came back. And so now for coming up on two years, um, this, I want to say this fall will be two years that I have decided to make this my job job to put all my time and effort into it to work on learning things. I can't tell you all of the different styles of uh, tenons and cuts and very technical terms. That's not where my expertise lies. I can do things, but probably can't tell you what the freaking name of them is. And I, and I'm okay with that. Um, I don't, I don't feel that it makes you any less of a maker if you don't know what every single type of jig is, which you don't know what every style of intricate joinery is. Um, as long as you're creating, you're doing just fine. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Okay. So uh, it sounds like you kind of got started because you needed something for your own home or wanted something anyways for your own home. Um, and it, maybe uh, by chance turned into a business. Um, was there any doubts there or hesitancy or how do we do this kind of thoughts uh, jumping into it like that, you know? Um, I'd have to say the hardest thing has been finding a balance. Um, because I got so excited when those coffee tables started selling that I'm not kidding you. I mean, I was staying up till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, every single day, trying to bust these things out and putting very unrealistic expectations out. And I can look back now and go, wow, that was really dumb. Um, <laughs> that was a really stressful time. And I think it caused a little bit of resentment with my kids because I poured so much time and energy into that. But it's like if you are going hungry for so long that when you kind of get a little bit of food or you get a little bit of water, you're just gulping it in. Um, so learning a balance has definitely been harder versus every once in a while, I kind of, I'll look at somebody and they're doing this crazy intricate joinery method and whatnot. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I, you know, Am I doing any of this right? But I guess for the most part, I'm pretty confident in my ability because I think I do look at it as art. Um, and art is never wrong. I mean, bloody heck, if a freaking elephant with a paintbrush can fetch 
$50,000 at an art auction. I'm pretty sure that me spending 16 hours working on a set of trees isn't going to go unnoticed. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can't, you can't do art wrong. And I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole of debating joinery methods and stuff, you know, but I put it all out there. I use, uh, Craig screws for pretty much all of my joinery. Um, because my focus is not on how it's put together. I I make sure it's sturdy. I mean, it's not going to fall apart, but my focus is on kind of like you personally, my focus is more on the, the art aspect of the piece. Um, and the functionality, I'm less concerned with how that functionality goes together and more concerned with the end result. It's functional and uh, beautiful, both at the same time. Yeah. I mean, there's, I get lost staring and watching endless hours of videos of joinery methods and, and um, ways people build things. And I find that for me personally, I think that's absolutely fascinating that there is such a diverse way to do things. And and for me, I embrace that. I embrace learning. If somebody wants to show me a way that's, that's very cool and is a method that they are an expert in, I, I love that part of human nature. Um, the only part I struggle with that is if you're kind of bagging on somebody for not doing it a particular way. Um, I am very open-minded. I love learning. I'm very good with constructive criticism. Um, but I, I, I really have a hard time with people saying, well, Susie Q did this completely the wrong way because she did not use this, this, and this, and this, you know, $1,600 Japanese saw to, to create this angle at exactly 9.676 degrees off center, you know? So, um, other than that, I think it's super cool that everybody does everything so very different. Yeah, I mean, that that is partially, though, why um, sometimes people's natural instinct is like, well, that person over there, right, is a woodworker, so they're my competition, so therefore we can't like each other. But if you get past that and really understand what that woodworker does, it's almost a guarantee they do something completely different than you. And so it's not really truly a competition, but a room for growth to learn what they do and how they do it and for them to learn what you do and how you do it um, so that they can move their own craft and skills forward. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's, I look at it as like, particularly it being, if you kind of start relating your career to things in your everyday life. I mean, when you go to say, for instance, a, um, like a mommy meeting, or uh, I, I didn't go to too many of those, but you know where you you all have a bunch of kids the same age and you, you go and you do things. You're not, well, I mean, I would hope not going there because you're going to sit there and bash the way people are doing things or nitpick at somebody. You're going to offer support and you might not always agree with the way that somebody is is doing something, but that doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't make it a bad experience. It just literally means they do something different than you. Um, I don't know that the world could handle 1,500 Jesses running around like me. Um, it might implode on itself. So 
And I think that way about a lot of people. I, I, I really enjoy the diversity that every single maker, whether you're an artist, a mom, a dad, uh, a, strictly a woodworker, uh, strictly a video content creator, those things take so much time and effort that I do not have room in my heart for sitting there and being grouchy with somebody because they're doing something different or even similar to what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, that takes too much time away from the ma- mountain of work you have in front of you to get done yourself. Um, <laughs> yes. um, all right. So clearly, um, you know, art and creativity kind of are in your blood. Um, what about the, the business side of it, though? Um, how has that journey been for you turning this into that full-time uh, business, you know, full-time thing that you're throwing everything into? So for me, um, one of the things that I know about myself, and it has taken me 40 years to figure this out, is I love learning. I've mentioned that a couple of times now. Um, I graduated early from school, uh, way early than normal, bypass grades, all of that kind of stuff. So I've always been business-minded first. The problem that I end up running into is that my creativity uh, sometimes needs to be reined in so I can remember to do the business part. I actually spend a lot of time looking at market trends. I watch what is going on in all sorts of platforms, what is popular, the way things are working. And then in addition to that, I spend a lot of time reading um, business manuals, everything from how to get your you know, return on investments, which is always a big deal, calculating. If I'm spending this much time and effort, how much do I need to break even on this, wholesale pricing, whatnot. I actually have an entire spreadsheet that breaks down everything from every time I pick up a paintbrush. That way I'm not just kind of willy-nilly pricing myself out of the market, either by being too low or being too high. I know that if I want to continue this business, which is being able to create I have to be profitable with that. So the business aspect of it is, is I do, I do treat it completely like a business. Um, it's might seem like it's a kind of a social media circus, which is a little bit hard because you really need to stay true to yourself and you need to be genuine. Then that's not a problem for me. Cause I don't know that I could fake that anyway. Um, it would just be a giant mess. It, it would be it would be terrible. I wouldn't even want to see that. Um, but you do need to also remember that your social media is an extension of you, and that's where you're going to bring in business, whether it's through Facebook, Facebook pages, um, Instagram, any platform that you're on, um, advertising locally, which is a huge thing to bring in clients. It's all an extension of what you are. So find where you're genuinely happy and then maybe clean it up. Think of it as going out on a date night where, you know, you're putting your best foot forward. It's still you, but it's maybe a little bit more defined and refined version of you. 
So that has really helped me a lot remember that I am an artist, but I definitely don't want to be a starving artist. I have plans and I want to continue to expand my business. And in order to do that, I really need to make sure that my books are in line, that I'm bidding my projects correctly, that I am presenting myself correctly, that my work is top-notch. So when I do sell a piece, those people want to refer me to their friends. And a lot of, I, well, maybe not a lot, a lot of the makers that I have spoken with do undervalue putting out a product that isn't just going to be okay in someone's space. That somebody is going to be proud to say like, oh my gosh, look at, I got this from Susie and you should really check her out because this isn't your normal barnwood sign or your normal palette table. I mean, you can make a palette table extraordinary. That's what I did just by adding that little bit of extra time to it. And then in addition, you charge for that. You don't just be like, oh, well, it only took me an extra hour, so I really don't need to, to toss any more money into my price. Yes, you do. You, you need to make sure that you're charging for that. And that's how you get successful. So I just want to get an understanding, too, of maybe your split. So what would you say is your split between doing, like, uh, custom projects for clients who come directly to you asking for a custom piece versus pieces that you create with uh, without a direct customer lined up for that? It has been probably about a year that I've actually haven't been able to just make pieces because I have been pretty busy with custom orders, which are good because um, this is going to seem really hard for some people to accept, but you have to be able to say no. Um, that was part of the reason I almost quit actually was because I was taking anything. I was building bunk beds and tables and boxes and benches and stuff that really did not speak to me at all. And my work started to suffer from it. So I made the decision that if it wasn't a piece that I felt would fit well with me, I started to say no. And in turn, what has happened, it has allowed me to kind of fade the line between just creating for myself and creating for a customer because I'm taking my ideas that I'm excited about and I'm making those for my customers. And it has made my work shine because there's so much love, as silly as that sounds, and desire behind being able to make these pieces that it shows in my work, which is translated to being able to have a pretty stable income in regards to my artful furniture okay yeah where you still get to put your uh your your uh aesthetic out there um with those products even though they're custom pieces yeah i mean it's it is a blurry line if i'm creating something now i'm usually it's usually a day project um, I haven't really had much time to spend on just kind of like, oh, I'm going to take a week and, and make stuff. But for me, that's okay because these projects that I'm working on for clients are ones that they have come to me and said, hey, you know what? I love what I see you producing. Here's my basic outline. Take it and run. 
And when you find your niche like that, you will find the clients that want you to shine and succeed. So they'll allow you to do that. Um, so it's not so much anymore of a, a job like those coffee tables. I was so sick of making those coffee tables. I was like, I'll be happy if I never have to make one of these ever again in my entire life because that was a job. That was, I'm making these because I have to. Now I'm making stuff because I want to, and it helps create income. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good distinction uh, to have out there. So what then going kind of further into this split, um, how much would you say are you gaining business from like local recognition versus, um, you know, social media, therefore it being people who don't maybe live anywhere near you to know you locally type thing? So locally right now, I focus a lot of time on my local market. Um, I am probably, probably close to 98% local market. Um, from everything from wall art to huge pieces, you know, 11, 12 foot tables, um, nine foot tall headboards, you know, down to a little six inch desk sculpture. Um, so I get my needs met of making little things, you know, which appease that inner instant gratification that I need. And then also these large scale projects that take a couple of months to, to do. So um, yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's kind of where. Do you feel that, social media does help you reach the local clients or do you think that's just like a added bonus? Like where do no, you feel social media fits in? Social media definitely helps. And I would like to say that, um, you know, Instagram's this big, great, wonderful thing. And it is, Instagram has brought me a very different aspect. Instagram has brought me friends. Um, and opportunities to start working on a more national teaching level. But honestly, Facebook has been where it has been at for me on social media because that's where a lot of the local people are. And um, social media is a huge advertising platform. And again, that's where I'm saying if, if I'm presenting myself on social media, I'm, if you've read any of my posts and even particularly like on my Facebook, I have a lot of public Facebook posts. They're all, some of them are very quippy and just dorky like I am, you know, sharing memes. And I posted a little video yesterday of some tractors singing an Adele song. So it's funny, but they're, they're also very in depth. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sitting there saying, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this a little bit better, but if I have a public post on Facebook, I'm not going to put it in a manner that is, I don't want to swear, but like, frankly, being bitchy, I can't think of any other way to word it. Um, because I know that my clients and people who I want to attract as clients, nowadays, everybody snoops on everybody's Facebook. Everybody snoops on everybody's Instagram. And I snoop maybe not the right word, but they're 
they're doing research. They're, they're excited. If you're posting a piece of art on a public site, people are like, oh, well, hey, I wonder who this is. And the next thing you know, they're, you, you know, they're looking at your page. And the last thing they're going to want to see is any sort of hate or anger being expressed and blasted. It doesn't, and I say that very carefully because I don't mean that you can't go onto your page and be like, I'm having a rotten day, you know, like nothing's working out right. And I feel like crying. I've done that, but I'm not sitting there saying like, let's blow up the world. I hate everybody. So social media is, is a very tricky lady. Um, it's a very precarious balance between being genuine and being helpful and being who you are, but at the same time not being um, overly expressionate if you're trying to use it for business purposes. If it's a strictly closed down page and it's just you and your family, friends, do whatever the bloody heck you want to do. But if you're trying to market yourself to this great big wide world, you do have to be cognizant that you're presenting a very good foot forward because it will help generate sales. It's people are very visual and you have about 20 seconds, if that, to get their attention. And if your social media reflects that you're, you're into that mode, I, I think it really helps with sales. It really does. People want to buy if you have an upbeat and good personality. They, they want to be a part of that. So I, I know because I, I follow you, especially, you know, with, in the last couple of months, you've um, shared some, you know, really personal things about uh, your life and, and the journey you've had from childhood forward um and and i would say go as far as maybe i don't want to use it because it can be a, a buzzword sometimes but been vulnerable you know with those that uh do follow along with you um what has what has that experience been like like putting yourself out there like that um to such especially in your case i mean you do have such a wide audience and and you know from people who are complete strangers to people who do know you, who are, who are following you? Um, it's actually quite terrifying. It's, um, I have kind of that infamous post on both my Instagram and my Facebook. Um, and I was very terrified to post it and everybody knows it right away. They're like, what in the world is this picture? Um, because then you're kind of drawn to click on it. And, um, it was one of those moments in my life that it wasn't, first of all, going back to, yes, rabbit hole here. So going back to the start of how that, that picture started, that was such a pivotal moment in my life that I, I have to spend just a couple minutes talking about that. Um, I needed some photos for my website. And um, so I, I met with one of my, my friends and she got me all styled up and all of this kind of stuff. And so we did the photos, just normal, traditional, smiley, happy face, standing outside in the Alaska cold. You know, I got my, my trusty flannel shirt on. No big deal. Well, the moment came up of like, I have never done any sort of, I wouldn't say risque, but, but definitely um, saucy 
style photos. I mean, I'm out in public, so it's not like I'm standing there nude, but it's definitely like, okay, well, let's do this. So I did the photos and he showed me, the photographer showed me the photos. And for about 30 seconds, I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, holy cow. Um, if you haven't read the story, then you don't know that I am um, currently still maintaining uh, between 130 and 150 pound weight loss. Um, and for my 40th birthday, that was kind of a big deal for me because I've always shied away from pictures. There's really not many pictures of me. So I did this photo shoot and I felt so good. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can look like that, you know? And then, then it just all went downhill. I was like, oh my gosh, who takes these kind of photos? You know, I, I felt terrible and I was mortified. And I had to take about a week to sit back and reflect where those feelings came from. Because uh, again, we're not talking like new photos or anything. Um, and it dawned on me that my childhood was still controlling so much of me that all these things that I told myself that I was so strong for and look at me, I overcame childhood um, sexual and physical abuse. I had not that if I couldn't take a photo and, and not feel the way that I did, then these situations still had control. So in true Jess fashion, when I am scared of something, I go all in and I posted that crap everywhere and it still catches me off guard because to this day, people still through, scroll through my feed and all of a sudden I've got a little like on that photo or a little comment on it. Um, and it's been very cathartic for me because it has shown me that it's not something I need to be embarrassed about. It wasn't anything I did. I was just a kid who has some very unfortunate things happen. And if I really wanted to embody this person I thought I was being for my daughters of be strong, be brave, you know, define your path, that I had to not be scared anymore that I went through abuse as a kid, that I broke the cycle for my daughters, that the woman I once was close to 300 pounds unhappy did not define my entire life, that it was a huge part of my life and it gave me a lot of strength. But that doesn't mean that was where I, I was, that I didn't need to be ashamed of my body, the work that I've put into myself, or the things that happened to me as a kid. So those social media posts, of every time I, I do, I cringe every time I see a little like or a comment on it, but it's getting better. Um, there's been days where I'm like, I need to just take it down, just take it down. And then I don't because then that defeats the purpose again. And I need to just keep plowing through it. So yeah, that's childhoods are funny things. Um, well, I think though, I think the response you saw was about people um, wanting to connect with the real person, you know, behind 
all this amazing work. I mean, you do amazing work. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, I go down frequently the rabbit hole of your account, but, um, uh, but knowing too that, um, I think it's interesting, you know, that you talked about Facebook specifically because I personally, you know, on my personal account more so probably than anything, have found that Facebook for me, and I think maybe it's changing, but has been a place of like, everybody shares that like 2% really great aspect of their life. Um, (laughs) you know, and, and Instagram to a degree too, right? Because that's where we share the prettiness of what we're doing. Um, and I think, and, and maybe it's the younger generation helping to push this, that people are starting to be like, I appreciate the pretty, I want the pretty, but I need the real, like I need to understand that seeing this picture is not just about, you know, I guess it's for a lot of, of not wanting to get in that trap of that comparison, which I think is so easily done, um, especially because everybody has their own struggles they're going through in life. And if you're at a particularly low moment and see, you know, something that it looks like somebody else's life is just going so fantastic, it can become a moment of, well, why isn't my life going that fantastic or what am I doing wrong or down a huge rabbit hole there. And so I think you get response when you do show that uh, realness or that vulnerability because people crave that. They want to understand that they're not alone in whatever journey they're on. I think that was, I mean, that was, that was a huge part for me to share. Honestly, before I had done that post, I had shared with less than probably 10 people in my entire life, what my childhood was, was mainly consisted of. And it got me thinking that how many other people are sitting in there in these little worlds, um, feeling like they're alone. I mean, you see on TV and you read in the newspaper, unfortunately, you know, this person's sentenced or charged for sexual abuse. And, you know, it's a fleeting thought like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. But it's hard to connect with that. And, you know, again, struggles with weight. Um, I've had people tell me, what would you know about weight loss? You know, you're so tiny. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you don't know what somebody else is going through. In addition to that, you know, my daughter has... My youngest daughter has a pretty debilitating genetic condition that I have as well. And people are like, oh my gosh, again, everything's going so well in your life. But I mean, there's days where I literally cannot get out of bed. Um, My my body is seized up. Uh, I, I mean, I go to weekly infusions just to in order to keep trugging along. I did a post a few days ago about the difference between positive thinking and kind of more realistic thinking that everybody is stuck in this notion that you have to be happy all the time. Instead of actually being a realist and accepting that sometimes things are rotten, things are just freaking terrible. And you know what? I'm spending the whole bloody day crying. But at the same time, I'm also continuing to move forward. I am accepting that something very bad may have happened and I am miserable. 
But at the same time, I still have a responsibility to my life and to my children to, to figure out a way to work through that. So there is a big difference between this new notion of nobody can ever be sad. And if you're sad, then you're being a negative Nancy and you're bringing everybody down around you. If you're sad, just think about a way that you can express that not in anger, but in, in a way that, that helps you figure out a way to get through it. That's the best thing for me, as I tell myself all the time, I have lived through worse. I might need to take about an hour. I mean, to take a day to cry myself through this, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure it out. And if I have the opportunity to help other people figure it out too, then maybe next week, that's what's going to bring me some solace is, okay, how do we get through this? And how do I show other people how to get through it? No, I think that's good. And I think it's brave of you to, to trudge that path um, and allow yourself to share that information. Um, so thank you for that. I think it means a lot in this world. It's um, not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. Exactly. Um, all right. Perhaps a, hopefully not a total whiplash change of trajectory in the conversation, yeah. but um, I want to talk a little shop with you. Um, Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you did beadwork. Now you do woodworking. I know you do beadwork still as a hobby. Um, yes, ma'am. So let's kind of go down both paths of making, like what are some, what are like the go-to can't live without tools for both for woodworking and for beadwork? Um, so the easy one for beadwork is obviously, you know, needles, threads, beads. Um, I love doing both working from pattern and creating my own patterns. So, so those are pretty easy, uh, super relaxing. Um, woodwork tools. I'm a big chisel person. I swear to goodness, like what I need is somebody to give me like a thousand dollar chisel set. Um, and I would be the happiest person in the entire world. Um, I love hammer and chisel in the day away. It's just so very relaxing to me. Um, I'm a big bandsaw person, which is funny. I would rather, uh, I love my bandsaw. I, I have a, a 14 inch jet and I, I just love it. Um, I don't know why I'd rather use that than a scroll saw. I think I get too impatient with a scroll saw like I look at um these intricate makers like Lizzie and Willow and um and I'm like oh my gosh I would probably throw that thing out the freaking window because I do not have the patience to sit there and make those cuts I'm like bandsaw okay cool we just made a giant n (laughs) so um I definitely my bandsaw I love my table saw I absolutely love my table saw and probably my router, actually, would be my, if you're trapped on an island and this is all you can have, those would be my, my items, I think. Okay. What about um, materials as far as, because um, I know you work with resin and inks and paint. What are like your favorite material types to work with in combination with the wood? Um, 
paint, definitely. All kinds of paint. I couldn't even, if I had to be forced to pick one, I'd say acrylic paints. Okay. Um, acrylic paints would be my number one item. Um, resin has definitely become a new love. People are quite surprised to realize that I've actually been only working with resin for not even quite a year. Um, it's just, again, one of those things like beadwork I naturally took to naturally can feel the flow and figure out how to make it work. So resin is also very important to me in all different aspects. Then, um, I guess just a straight up pencil. You know, there's so much, a lot of times when I'm like shading the salmon on my tables and whatnot, I revert right to a pencil and then I'll go right back to using stain to create the shadows. But yeah, a pencil. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, sometimes the, the simplest thing is the best tool, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So what's on your like bucket list of if I only had XYZ? Like dream tool that oh, oh, I know oh, you already I threw out the thousand dollar chisel set, but <laughs> I can tell you right off the gate, it's called the time saver. Time no, saver. It is, yep, it is literally called the time saver. It's this huge twenty-two thousand dollar piece of equipment. Um and yeah, she's a beast. I it, it I it heartbeat, no questions. That's what it would be. All right, because you you have a CNC too. Correct? I do. I have a CNC. I have a full shop. Yeah, yeah. But I'm missing that piece. So anybody who's listening, I'm <laughs> <time> saver. <laughs> um. All right. So, how do you manage? I know you know, like you said, your your three kids are older. Um. But still, how do you how do you manage? How did you manage when you got started? Your a busy mom uh, with three kids and uh, being a maker and running a business. Like how did, how did you, and how do you manage all of that? Um, like I said at the beginning, I, I was, I did it very poorly. Um, but I, I have gotten better with it. It's, I worked a lot of nights, so I would work while they were at school and then I'd stop and then I'd be up all night working. Um, and it's, it's kind of a little bit better now, obviously, now that they're older and only one is at home, but it's still a precarious balance, so. Yeah, and I don't think it's ever a true balance as an equal. Um, no. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a constant dance between what's getting more attention. Um, what, what's your favorite part about being a mom? <sighs> seeing them be who they are. It, it really is. My, my girls are so different. They, every one of them is so different and so interesting because it represents such a different part of my life. As I've gotten older, I can look and see where they're at as human beings and in, in relation to the moment that I was in my life. Um, how resourceful my oldest is because she was created and lived through the poorest years of our life. And then my middle daughter, seeing how um, kind and caring she is because she was three and a half when her little sister came along. 
and her little sister being so sick all the time created such an empathetic and kind and caring soul that you just meet her and you feel this aura of love radiating from her. And she's such a little, a caregiver. And then my youngest, she's so, she's so determined. And you can see again, that, that part of my life where I, you know, their dad and I had split when she was, she was four. So she's exceptionally resilient and strong and capable and uh, just has this natural ability to, to debate anything to the death of me. But at the same time, as she's getting older, those qualities are proving to be so helpful. So looking back now, it is, it's, it's seeing the women that they have become and realizing more so than ever how much of an impact devoting my life to raising them had on them. Yeah, I think, um, I think you hit on a lot there and definitely, um, you know, again, my kids are young, but it's been a joy just watching them grow into their personality. Um, and it's exciting to think about how that's going to continue as they get older. Um, and grow, right? Some of those character traits that they each of them have, uh, it will be exciting to see how they end up when they're your kids' ages. It is. It's been a blessing. I mean, I've always adhered to the philosophy that I would rather my girls do well as human beings as a whole, whether that be in school or as a friend, than, than what they look like. Um, and, I, and I mean that by, we. I've had a lot of conversation with moms and like, oh my gosh, you know, you're 13 year olds got six different colors hair. And, but then I look at it and I think but that same 13 year old um, is the, the class president. And she's the one that people turn to when they need advice and support. And she's straight A student. Don't really care that she's got six different colors of hair because that is choosing your battles as a parent, I think is one of the hardest things that we go through of being more worried about our children's appearance than we maybe should be because we're worried about what perception is going to happen with the other moms at the grocery store. Um, instead of actually worrying about what our kids are feeling and thinking. So I learned pretty early on. And I think that was because I was such a young mom, but I was already getting looks and glances from people um, that I would rather my kids have different colored hair and be wearing funky clothes and just completely look like little goobers when in their heart, they're learning how to be different and unique and be amazing people and support systems. Exactly. Yeah. I think, uh, the world needs, uh, more kind and loving people and the more that we as moms can help produce that, or moms and just parents in general, mm -hmm. the better off the world will be. Um, so what would you give um, as advice to another mom who wants to tackle some sort of new skill? You know, whether it's making, DIY, uh, crafting them some sort, but is hesitant to get started. Um, 
it's a twofold thing. Either just just literally find something you like and do it. If you see a sign on Pinterest that you like, go get on Craigslist. Look at the free materials section. I, I know every single Craigslist has a free building materials, whatnot. Go down to local lumber yards. Lumber yards. Say that 10 times fast. And, you know, go dig through their scrap bins. I know when you go into Lowe's here locally, right up front, they've got the damaged and broken wood that you can pick up for pennies on the dollar. If you want to create something with art, uh, go down to freaking Walmart or the dollar store and pick up some, some cheap craft paint and start with that. Start honing your skills. Don't be afraid to try things. Um, I know a lot of communities have those maker spaces. So if you don't necessarily have the tooling, you can go down and, and borrow that. Or again, uh, reach out to people in your community. Join Facebook woodworking groups. Um, and join other areas. Do not feel like you need to go out and buy the biggest and the best thing. Start with a saw. You can go down and buy a saw for 10 bucks. You can cut those angles. You can cut corners. Um, start making things your way. Grab inspiration from, from Pinterest and, and Instagram and Facebook and find other makers who you admire and try to make something that they're making. Because what you'll discover is that you'll be able to put your own spin on it as you become more confident. Even if you're exactly, you've printed out a picture of something that you like and you're trying to completely copy it, do that. If that's where you gain your confidence, now I'm not saying do that and then sell it and market as your own because that's not fair, but do that, create it for yourself and keep doing it until you find your groove because pretty quickly you'll start realizing, oh, I, I maybe like this piece this way or I like this color a little bit more. And then the next thing you know, you've created something entirely your own and your confidence just soars because you're able to stand back and be like, I made that. Like, I made that. That's so cool. And then give it away. Seriously, give it away to a family or a friend and then see the smile and the love on their face. And then, then you're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And next thing you know, you're making more. I think that's great advice, especially the give it away piece, right? Because that also gives you um, the feedback to help that confidence, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Give it to your mom, give it to your dad, give it to your sister, your brother. Shoot, give it to your kid's teacher because they're not going to be like, oh my <laughs> gosh, what is this thing? You know, they're, they're going to be receptive and loving of it. And you're going to find your feet. And the next thing you know, you're making 125 freaking coffee tables. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so what, uh, what are some other maker moms that you follow that you get inspiration from um gosh I love Brandy and Ashley build like a chick and eternal harvester um uh, harvest company excuse me um I love them I love them to death um let's see Megan's sweet aloha designs I really like her I think she's just a total badass like if you've seen like her guns and like her arms I'm like oh my <laughs> gosh lady you're amazing <laughs> um, <laughs> So those are those are some people that I like silently and not so silently stalk. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I, I really like them. There, there really isn't one out there. I mean, I could sit here and name all these handles because now my brain is like literally running through the list of all of these women that I admire. Um, those are kind of more on the, the builder's side. And then um, I've got moms in every area that, that I admire. Um, everything from, of course, my mom to other moms in my community to, you know, Instagram moms. Um, I am really hard pressed to find any lady on Facebook or Instagram that there isn't something I like about them. Um, honestly, I couldn't even tell you something because the way that my mind works is that even if I'm not necessarily, again, agreeing with everything you're doing, I'm always able to think and remember just because I don't agree with something, you're doing what's best for your family. And I admire that. I, I do. So I guess the better statement for wrapping that into a little bow is there isn't a single mom or person on any social media channel I've ever seen that I don't admire. I think that's pretty awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So how can people find you, follow you? Where should they go to? Uh, so mid April, my website will be up. I have a company working on that now and that's just Crow Creek designs, ak.com. Then of course on Instagram and Facebook pages. Well, so let's see, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook pages, um, uh, and the new TikTok because that has become like the rabbit hole for, whoa, wow. Um, it's all under Crow Creek Designs. Then on um, regular Facebook, a lot of people follow along and that's just under Jess Crow. Um, everything is a variation of my name. I think on Twitter, I'm like Jess Crow Creek because I couldn't get designs in there. Um, LinkedIn is under just Jess Crow. So I'm, I'm pretty much working my way on to just getting on every single platform. I haven't done Snapchat yet though. Like I am terrified. I Snapchat with my kids and I can't imagine like my phone constantly going off with filtered faces all day. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Jess. And I will make sure that there's links to all the ways to follow you um, in the show notes for the episode. But thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun and it's a, uh, I look forward to it and sharing all the stuff where you're at and just keep showing moms that you can do this. You can That's start right. small and you can rock this. That's Again, that was Jess Crow with Crow Creek Designs in Alaska. And I really, truly do want to thank her for sharing moments of vulnerability during the interview and talking about her past, as well as sharing about her uh, wonderful artwork that she makes. Um, and as always, you can find all the ways you can follow along with Jess on her journey in the show notes. If you go to www.makermompodcast.com, uh, that will take you to Freeman Furnishings homepage at the moment, upper left-hand corner, hit podcast, and you're right there. 
or if you're already following along um, on Instagram at Maker Mom Podcast, uh, then you just have to click the link in the bio and you can find the show notes there along with uh, finding out how to become an official member of the tribe over on Patreon, get your very own shout out, be able to participate in the monthly online meetups, um, plus other swag items available there, you know, stickers and shirts and such. All right, so until next week, though, I will see you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Thank you.